All right, hello, 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 and welcome back to the Peanut Gallery. I am sitting here across from George Harder. My name is Tim Scott. Welcome. Glad to be here. Today, George, uh, I thought we would talk about theater critiques, not theater critics, for example, just how everyone goes to see theater. I assume everyone listening to this podcast is a theater fan and have seen theatrical events. But as a theater artist myself, whenever you do a show, everyone wants to tell you what they think about the show, for better or for worse. And it's a slippery slope. How to tell your friends about the show that they were just in. That's right. It's, I mean, art in general is a slippery slope when you're critiquing it, whether it be theater, whether it be visual art, whether it be radio, some people critiquing your performance on your radio show. But there's a very famous example uh, of Jason Robert Brown, the great composer, going to see, befriending Stephen Sondheim at a very young age. I think he was 23 years old uh, when this incident happened. And he gives a great example about seeing, I believe it was Passions. He wrote a letter in his blog about how to receive theater critique, and he and his friend went to go see a show of Stephen Sondheim's in 1993. They don't say what the show was. Is it Merrily We Roll Along? I don't think so. Merrily We Roll Along was in the 80s, so Mm. it it must have been Passion. Regardless, it doesn't matter what it is. But Sondheim set them up to see the show and arranged for them to have dinner afterwards. So Sondheim didn't see this performance. He was just waiting for them at the restaurant. They come to the restaurant after seeing the show and they proceeded to do everything and talk about anything they could think of except the show. So after a long period of time, you could tell that Sondheim was getting irritated and they were getting nervous. This is Jason Robert Brown's uh, story that finally Sondheim said, well, what did you think of the show? Did you like the show? And Jason Robert Brown goes on to say, it didn't matter. We couldn't say anything at that point. The elephant was in the room. And and he goes on to talk about how you critique theater moving forward. So what are your thoughts about seeing theater, critiquing theater as a, as a longtime advocate of theater, as someone who sees Broadway shows multiple times a year, and as someone who has colleagues that are involved in theater? Well, the uh, uh, the essay, if you want to call it that, that Stephen Sondheim wrote d- directly to Jason Robert Brown, I think the next day, was titled Nobody Cares What You Think, <laughs> in which Sondheim proceeded to sort of berate uh, Brown, saying, you just say you loved it. It doesn't matter what you thought, what you really think. That's other people's job. Uh, basically, when you're my guest at my show, if you can't say, I loved it, don't come and see me in the lobby. Don't lean over the pit to to say hello. Just go home. And uh, that when you are in the theater and you've written something and you bury your soul and you put it out there, what I need from you as my friend in that moment is just I loved it. Right. And just not in spite of its flaws. Right. Not great isn't the word or your audience loved it. <laughs> yeah. So just for clarification, and you can find this online. Jason Robert Brown wrote a blog post about it. I feel like it's been almost 10 years ago now. And he was mortified that he had offended That's right. His his mentor. I mean, he goes on to say Stephen Sondheim is the reason why he's in musical theater. If it weren't for Sondheim and shows like Sunday in the Park with George into the woods, 
he would have gone off and tried to be the next Billy Joel, but he was so moved by the emotion that musical theater could cultivate. And I'm paraphrasing, he's paraphrasing now, I'm reading exactly what Jason Robert Brown says in his blog post. He said, uh, I will paraphrase it here, but a lesson that he learned at the foot of the master, and Sondheim said this to him, nobody cares what you think. Once a creation has been put into the world, you have only one responsibility to its creator, be supportive. Support is not about showing how clever you are, how observant of some flaw, how incisive in your criticism. There are other people whose job it is to guide the creation and make it work. Either they did their job or they didn't, but that is not your problem. I was trying to think of, uh, of an example that someone could relate to who's not in the theater. And it's, and it's like this. Um, it, if, if I put together a show... Uh, you've had some things to say about my theater projects, and that doesn't bother me because you've been alongside me in the process. You were a witness to the process. And it's sort of like if my wife, Sharon, and I cooked a dinner party and invited you, Jesslyn, several people over for a meal, Sharon could criticize the meal because she's been alongside the process. But... If you come to my house for as a guest and don't say anything at all, maybe I go a little bit above our budget and buy some nice wine. You say nothing. You leave and don't even say thank you or uh, this chicken was delicious. Say nothing. I would be offended. And uh, so it's... It, it's sort of like it, it's sort of like that. No, hundred percent. I think that's a great example, and I think what it comes down to is the vulnerability of it all. Yes. So when you're cooking dinner for somebody, you're putting yourself out there. Do they hate it? Do they love it? And regardless, there's a vulnerability to that, and certainly that vulnerability exists up on stage when you're creating something. As an actor, certainly putting yourself out there, literally putting yourself out there and exposing yourself out there, there's a great vulnerability that goes along with that. And so Sondheim goes on to say, as you mentioned earlier, just say, I loved it. And he says, no matter how much I beg, no matter how, what did you really think? You can tell me, just say, I loved it. Furthermore, he says, maybe in a few years, years, not a few days, maybe in a few years, I'll be open to hearing your comments and your critique. But I just think that that that's so real, especially especially the more cognizant, you know, our society becomes about feelings and emotion and and mental stability. It's very challenging to do that kind of thing eight shows a week. And to have people that you you love, let alone people that you don't even know, kind of point out where you fell short, that sucks. That's terrible. Well, and I don't even mind if if a, a colleague or somebody in the theater, another actor, somebody I know, if they pay full top gouge retail for a ticket and come and see the show that I'm involved with and leave and don't say anything, that that's one thing. But what I what what I take exception to is when I give complimentary tickets to a friend, and they come to a, a show and then leave and say nothing. Good friend of mine, she's a sometimes actress and uh, gave aren't her, we all? 
I gave her. Aren't we all sometimes <laughs> actresses? Gave her tickets uh, to a show that I had written and uh, narrated and didn't say anything. And finally, uh, after a week, I said, so, so what what'd you think of the show? I really liked your shoes you were wearing. Oh, come on. That's not true. True story. You know, that's that's kind of a famous thing that you see that played out in television shows and movies and stuff. Like that kind of compliment. Uh, Damning you with faint praise. Faint praise. Is yeah, that you sure looked like you were having fun up there. Right. <laughs> Gosh, you guys looked like you were having fun. But I, I kind of got after her a little bit, and I told her about this letter, and she said, well, I can't lie. Well, sure you can. <laughs> you do every, people do every day. <laughs> I, I can't, I have to be honest. I have to be honest. So I gave her a copy of the letter. And then she, uh, she, uh, did she, did we talk on the phone? No, it was in an email. She said, oh, I see what you're talking about now after reading the, the Sondheim, Jason Robert Brown. I, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. So, what do you have to say about that as someone who's put yourself out there before in radio and, and sometimes on stage as well? Because I know I've been that person where someone said, it's great. It was so great. And you're begging them. Come on, tell me, tell me what you really think. Um, that's just the artists are gluttons for punishment. <laughs> well, you want a more sincere. I loved it. <laughs> I, I guess. But I think that your, your example earlier on about cooking, I think that explaining that or trying to uh, you know, give examples to people who aren't necessarily in theater, theater arts. You could say that about any any job. Would you critique anybody like that? You know, you're, the, the the chef is the great example. If you're working in a restaurant, the chef comes over and says, "What did you think of What did you think of the lamb, the duck today?" And you said, "The plates are really nice. It's beautiful china you have." I think that that's a great example. And it's um, it's it's a matter of being gracious. I, I don't think it's a matter of being insincere or or lying or just trying to blow smoke but it, it's a matter of being gracious i think the the acquaintance or friend that gets the free tickets to see the show i don't think they realize how spiritually invested their good friend who's in the show or wrote the show is that i don't think they not being in show business they don't think it's that serious and of course, we live in a generation now of, of clickbait and, you know, the most outrageous thing that you can write or soundbite or headline has a chance to get clicked through more often, which leads to ad revenue and whatever that may be. But a pretty contemporary argument is surrounding the New York Times and how for a very long time that your production, your enterprise is can be made or broken by a review that you get in the New York Times. And now they have two chief theater critics, Ben Brantley and Jesse Jesse Green. Um, but oftentimes they get pretty catty in their reviews and, you know, very funny, uh, especially from someone who hasn't seen the shows. But now we're seeing artists kind of uh, lash back, you know, bounce back on their blogs or Twitter or social media things, critique. Crit giving critique to the critiques saying you can critique the show and you can tell me what you think. You don't have to be mean. You don't have to be mean spirit about it and try to make fun of people along the way. Yes. I think that sometimes reviewers, criti uh, professional critics will bring their own baggage in critiquing a show. And I think that's where a composer or somebody involved with that show might take exception. Uh, I 
remember uh, when Garrison Keeler came through with his Prairie Home Companion, a local reviewer, uh, said, well, uh, you know, I never grew up in a small town like Lake, Lake Wobegon. I never had an uncle like that. And, uh, I mean, that's a, just an extreme example. But I, I think that uh, quite often uh, theater critics will bring some of their own background to their critique, or often they come from a literary background and they'll review uh, a musical the way they would, you know, a, a Shakespeare play, or they'll review, they'll take too literary, uh, uh, too much of a literary approach to reviewing a theater piece. And I think it's some, some musicals are cartoons, so they need to review it. Was it a good cartoon? See what I'm saying? I do, and it's, it's interesting because, you know, most theater artists go to school. They go to training, and that's something that's often overlooked as well. I mean, you know, 5, 10, 15, a lifetime worth of training for people who are still studying voice and still trying to perfect their craft to this day. And what you see among some theater critics is what experience do they have to be able to critique this? Um, and certainly there are some that are very well qualified, but when you get on the regional level and you get all these digital online publications, it's like, what is your background that that gives you the, the, the right to speak about this? And, you know, I'm sensitive to it because I am a theater artist and and it's frustrating. It's frustrating at times. And it goes back to what we were talking about earlier about Jason Robert Brown and Sondheim is that you've put so much of your emotional, so much emotional investment into these things, you know, two, three, four, sometimes five weeks of rehearsal. And that's not counting what you may do before you get into rehearsal to have somebody with a few keystrokes, just eviscerate you is very challenging sometimes. That's because that's the way they get their, their voice and their power. Nobody wants to hear the positive, good things that they, 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 I think people, especially the way, our uh, society is so segmented now. There's so many outlets, uh, Instagram, Facebook, all the social media, internet, and so forth. There's blogs. There's so many uh, outlets for opinion. And uh, a lot of the people, I think, giving those opinions tend to per perhaps feel marginalized. So I think that they feel quite often that the way they get that attention is to be negative and to be catty because that's what gets people stirred up. And that's what's that's what's in vogue, not just today, but I mean, you always hear more from the people that are unhappy than the people that are happy. I just think that's crazy. I mean, when people are content, when they're happy, they go home content. They go home happy. When they've got something to say, they want to squawk about it to what, whatever their medium is, social media or otherwise. When, my, uh, when I launched my radio show nationally on the WFMT Fine Arts Network, uh, I went up to Chicago and stood there when they uploaded the very first episode of A Night on the Town to the satellite. And it went out to all the stations. And uh, at that time, uh, I think there was 130 stations that had picked it up and were waiting for the first broadcast. And uh, it went up on a, on a Thursday, and it was set to broadcast out uh, from the stations either on Friday night or Saturday. Some ran it on Sunday morning. But I remember on Monday, I had no emails, not one comment, 
and I was devastated. And I called the producer in Chicago, uh, Dave Levin, and was commiserating. He said, that's great. That's great. If you didn't get one, one email criticizing your show, you're doing fantastic. <laughs> because you don't hear that's from right. the people Because that nobody's going to write if they liked it. Yeah, and I think that, that that's such a great segue into social media today, and we see it every day. It's part of the one of the many reasons of why I think social media is so toxic and why I'm not really on any social media is that people, they, they, they get their value or their sense of self-worth from likes or positive comments on social media. I mean, listen, I, I, I know plenty of people, and I was victim of it myself. If I post something on Instagram or Facebook and it's not getting a certain amount of likes in a certain amount of time, I start to feel bad about myself. That is terrible. And I don't know if that's just the artist mentality in me. I can only speak for myself, but I know that it's just a terrible feeling. So when you're, if you were to give someone your advice about how to interact with someone they may see in a show, if you've got friends or family, or if you run into somebody, if you were to give them kind of a template for, listen, beyond, I loved it. I loved it. What what would your template be about, you know, a, a respectful, uh, emotionally sensitive way to approach uh, artists. You mean if you didn't like it? Yeah, either you... way. I mean, if effusive or not. I'm I'm going to stick with uh, what Sondheim said. I mean, I would uh, I would hang around, especially if I got free tickets. <laughs> if yeah, I'm... if you get free tickets, you kind of yeah. I would I would stick around and, and wait for the cast to come out. It was a friend of mine, and I would go up and I would. Uh, put my arm around him and I said that was excellent work what do you think the future that was excellent work well, you know we, we I like to kind of prognosticate a little bit well what do you think the future of of that art form is like critiquing theater like the the profession of doing it there's just you know with with print and journalism kind of dying and we just see so many online publications popping up with varying levels of credibility do you just think that it's going to be more blogs, more video logs, or do you think that nobody even cares? I mean, we've locally, we've seen some of the theater, the paid theater critics kind of fall off and they cite, well, nobody cares. Nobody reads that section. They care about the sports headlines and they care about the political section of the newspaper. Nobody's reading the art section. What do you think the future of the arts in journalism is? It'll be up to the marketing people. How big of an ad you can put in the New York Times that's what I think. I, I don't think that the, these outlets that you mentioned really carry a whole lot of weight. I don't know that it would dissuade anyone from buying a ticket to a show they might be interested in or encourage them to, to buy a ticket. Uh, there's, a, uh, there's a lot of uh, ads in the paper now about uh, the new reimagined West Side Story. Uh, they have a, all new dance routines put in, uh, replacing Jerome Robbins' great work. Uh, they've taken out I Feel Pretty, which I don't know if song I've had, had anything to do with that because he didn't like that song. Uh, and uh, I actually have talked to two people who have seen it, and they were kind of on the fence. Yeah, it was okay. Still in previews. Yeah, still in previews. Uh, but they got those full-page ads in the New York Times, and if you... Uh, uh, there's a been, been a lot of articles about it in the paper. So 
I guess to cut to the chase, I think it'll still be left up to the professionals. I think that's interesting because that that kind of leads to, you know, when you're talking about crit- critiquing theater and stuff, that kind of leads to social media and the impact it has on critiquing theater. You mentioned the West Side Story production. Ivan Van Ho, I believe, is directing that production in New York right now. It's it's made some news in that many of the performers have been injured. I mean, we haven't seen a production like like this since Spider-Man. Now, certainly not at the scope of Spider-Man, which had a lot of problems. But the the rumble, I believe it is, takes place in the rain. It rains on stage. And we've had several performers now be injured. The guy who plays Tony, I can't think of his name right now, he was injured. They moved the opening night performance back to accommodate him. And just a few weeks ago, the actor that plays Riff hurt himself in that same scene, and he's out. He's not in the production anymore. They're very vague about what happened to him. But you look at that and how that is proliferated on social media and online, and that has a real impact on how shows do or how shows viewed because you know, the large part of the American public isn't going to make its way to New York to actually see the show. I never saw Spider-Man, but my perception of it was it was a disaster based on what I saw on social media. I do think that if you are the type of person who can afford $180 for an orchestra seat to a Broadway show, could afford the hotel room, the airfare and so forth, and you're going to New York and you want to see a show, uh, Maybe uh, it's the e-ticket in Amusement Park, New York. So uh, you're just going to pick one for you and your loved one to see. uh, That you're not going to pay attention to one source. You're going to be the type of person who is going to see if uh, anybody said anything on social media. But you're also going to read some reviews. You're going to go on Playbill.com and maybe read some of the articles about a variety of shows and West Side Story, that, that looks interesting. I've always liked that show. Oh, they're doing the Rumble in the Rain? Okay, well, maybe we'll, maybe we'll go see that. But my overall point is that if you're the kind of person, when it comes to Broadway anyway, uh, who is enough of a theater fan that you're going to put out that kind of expenditure, I don't think that you're going to either be dissuaded or persuaded from just one or two sources. You're going to do the work. You're going to do the research. So much like politics, you're saying, do your research. <laughs> Don't believe just one source. Do the due diligence for yourself. Look into it a little more. And I think on the other side of the of the spectrum from Spider-Man, say, is a show like Be More Chill that just closed on Broadway a few months ago. That really was sustained by social media and people saying how much they loved it and how much they felt seen and how much it appealed to them because the critics were not kind to a show like that. So I think you're right. I think it's somewhere in between. Just do your research and figure out what suits you best. Don't just listen to a critic from the New York Times or or something you might see on social media. Decide for yourself. But You know, we're talking Broadway, but what do you think locally? What do you think attracts people to a local production in your hometown, if you live in a mid-sized city uh, like, uh, you know, Kansas City, St. Louis, Detroit, someplace like that, a lot of local theater companies, maybe even community theater, uh, when they put on a show, uh, they may not have a huge marketing budget. They're going to use social media a lot. Uh, maybe they can put an ad in the local paper. Maybe they can get a radio or a television interview, a radio interview on their local NPR station. Maybe that'll help. Uh, 
what do you think is the most effective uh, dissuader or persuader for people to leave their warm homes and drive to a local theater to see a production? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I always say the, the most capital you have in marketing a show is the title. You know, if you're doing a show like Cats, you're lucky because people are, they've heard of it and they're going to come see it. Built-in Be- marketing momentum. Yeah, but beyond that, beyond that, I think we live in an era where the photographs are more important than the show. I mean, hopefully the show is great. Let's make, let's, let's set out to put good shows together, but the show can be phenomenal. If what you're putting out there on social media is trash, if the photos look like trash, if the video looks like garbage, well, you're better off not putting anything out there because more people are going to see the photos, are going to see what you put online than are actually going to step foot in your theater. And I think that's applicable to everywhere, even even Broadway. But when you're saying specifically local regional theater, I think you need to be very cognizant of what you're sharing because people will want to share content that they deem valuable, that they deem awesome, that they look good in, that their show looks good in. That's what's going to get shared. And you're the people in your play will tell you if they're sharing stuff that you're putting out, that means it's good. If they're not, that means they don't want to be associated with it because it doesn't look great. Because it makes them look good to have shared that. So anyhow, that's going to wrap it up uh, for us today. Already? That's it. That's, you know, we like to keep it under 30 minutes if possible. Um, but we like to end every episode of the peanut well, Tim, gallery. Tim, you sure looked like you were having fun during this podcast. You know, fun <laughs> is my middle name. Uh, but we like to end every episode with a with a story uh, of how maybe we were a victim of the peanut gallery. Maybe we were the member of the peanut gallery. But I think I'll share one of my stories today. I was doing a production. It's a cabaret type show. Uh, a few singers, we were singing uh, tunes. And after the show, we greeted the audience afterwards. That's fairly common in the market that we live in. And so we have a hundred and some odd people come out and, you know, basically a wedding reception receiving line, a lot of shaking of hands. Thank you. Loved you. Thank you. We appreciate you. <laughs> I loved it. Yeah. Uh, and I had one uh, woman who came up to me, shook my hand and was just vigorously shaking my hand and wouldn't let me go. Um, I love you. It was just you, you are one of my two favorite singers of all time. Oh, that's so nice of you to say. Thank you very much. It's you. And I'm thinking she's going to say some other local performer, you know, maybe somebody that, that we've heard of. And she continues to shake my hand. She goes, it's you and Barbara Streisand. <laughs> and I said, wow, <laughs> that is very very nice of you to say. <laughs> so that's my, it was, it was a nice comment from the peanut gallery. It was unexpected, but nonetheless, uh, I think it qualifies as the peanut gallery. So when's the duet CD coming out? I got to call Babs and see what her availability is. Anyhow, uh, for George Harder, I'm Tim Scott. Thanks so much for listening to the peanut gallery. We'll catch you next time. So long now. Don't